This is Marcelo Pico, Editor-in-Chief of Talk Film Society, and your host for the Talk Film Society Festival 2020. This is day eight of the festival, although technically it may be day nine when you hear this, if you're listening to this as it comes out. Uh, Sorry for the delay on this episode, Uh, but it's a good one. It's a long one. It's me and David Giannini discussing Gone Girl, his pick for the festival. Um, I'll make this brief because it's it, it's a long one for good reason. Uh, David and I discuss Gone Girl uh, and how amazing the movie is, how we both love it, going into great detail. Um, but yeah, um, uh, go to our website, talkfromsociety.com slash TFSFest for links to the past episodes and to look at that schedule, that, that, that list of movies and guests um contributors uh, and also hey we have writing available uh on patreon uh patreon.com slash talk from society if you want to read uh work by our writers they wrote about these films for the festival uh david wrote a piece on gone girl and phantom thread for the festival for that program you can get on our patreon so check that out um and yeah, that's the, that's it. Those two links are the most important ones. Talkfromsociety.com slash TFSFest and also Patreon.com slash TalkFilmSociety. Um, and yeah, oh, uh, a note. Uh, we recorded this about a month ago. And since then, uh, David has changed his Twitter handle. So it, uh, the one he says at the very end is not the current one. If you want to follow David, uh, go to at DarnThatDave on Twitter. Uh, to follow him Um, and that's it please enjoy me and david discussing the amazing gone girl david thanks for coming on the talk from society fest you're welcome i am super happy to be here i'm super happy you asked and i'm super excited to talk about the movie uh that we're going to talk about today oh yeah so uh i mean i think at this point i've already had enough preamble about what the fest is but just to recap i first did this five years ago uh brought some people together and said hey let's uh each pick a movie under a certain theme and it's uh let's have our own little festival because i love bringing people together and just seeing mm-hmm. uh their their different tastes in movies so for this festival, five years later, I'm like, what's a good theme? Uh, I'll be lazy and just say returns is the theme. So in this uh, pre-movie intro discussion, uh, we're not going to get into spoilers because my mindset here is we're just introducing the movie. Uh, and if you're this is the first time uh, you're watching it because of us, uh, first off, you're welcome. Um, mm-hmm. And also, yeah, just... just uh, if you've avoided Gone Girl spoilers for this long, also you know, good job. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah, frankly, but yeah, we won't uh, spoil the big turns for you. Uh, we'll save all that for the post movie discussion. Uh, but for this, mm-hmm. and I just realized the theme of the theme of returns may kind of spoil things. But let me ask you, David. So not necessarily. Yeah, well, not necessarily. Yeah, there's, there's more than one return in this movie. So. so I'll just ask you, David. Um, I asked uh, you for a movie under the theme of returns, and tell me what you picked. 
so a little bit behind the scenes when you first asked me like I feel like I was like brain dead I couldn't think of anything and the first thing I thought was like oh maybe Batman Returns but don't quote me on that I want to I want to have like something a little more that doesn't have returns in the title let me let me let me search uh search my brain for this and I started going through all the movies that I have and all the movies that I really like and then this would be just kind of jumped out at me and I couldn't believe I didn't think of this when you first mentioned Returns and the movie is David Fincher's Gone Girl uh, which I have been on record on saying a couple different times that this is although I don't think Fincher's best movie it is easily my favorite of his movies the one that I can return and watch many many (laughs) many times and it is honestly it's always rewarding it is I think the most impressive thing about about it for me that you would think this would never work like Gone Girl as a book it's like I mean no no shade to anyone who loves the book but it's like a trashy beach read like it's like you know it's not something that you're expecting a director who is seen as like one of the best of his generation to take on and somehow those two things converging like uplift it to such a high level like I when I first went and saw this movie I was I had very low expectations so I was like oh this isn't gonna be any good it's gonna be <laughs> ridiculous but it's Fincher so I'll go see it like it's he's one of those like you know, like PTA, like Spike Lee, uh, like Karen Kusama for me that like, okay, you put their name on it. I'm in. Let's go. And I was so rewarded by it. I think it's absolutely phenomenal, not only from the directorial perspective, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, when we come back to talk about the actual movie, but all the actors, you know, the script. I mean, Gillian Flynn, who wrote the book, also wrote the script. And it is just phenomenal. And I think it's maybe besides Alien 3, the one Fincher movie that gets a little pushback from people as far as whether this is good or not. I see a lot of people loving it and a lot of people be like, "Ugh, that's such trash. I hate it so much. So it's a, it's an interesting one for sure. I don't even know where to begin, David. First off, what circles are you in where people are, 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 are like, you know, you know, we're both on Twitter. But, like there's who, nonsense everywhere. Who are you following? <laughs> I, I, I'm lucky that I follow like pretty much everybody on my feed loves Gone Girl. So I, I'm living in that bubble. You're David. lucky. Maybe they're scared to tell you because they like, know how much you have been. Yeah. I, I will say you have been on the front lines of like Gone Girl is great from the very beginning. There is mm. no, no one can deny that you love Gone Girl. So it would be like coming into my feed and talking trash about Lawrence of Arabia or Big Fish or like it's like the thing we talk about a lot. So it's like, let me just leave that to them. Have a good time. Yeah, I and and uh, funnily enough, this movie. Uh, intersects with a lot of my my things, and we'll talk more about that as we keep this discussion going. But I that sounds horrifying. <laughs> okay, Jesus. not what kind of people are you hanging Listen, out with? I'm, my goodness, I'm going to clarify that as we continue. So don't don't worry. Um, but I actually, as of this recording, I'm still struggling to come up with a good movie. Uh, under that theme of returns for me, I have not picked one yet, uh, and <laughs> and and don't feel bad about not thinking of one right away, David, because I've asked some people and they still haven't gotten back to me. It's been a week. I go, hey, what's the deal? <laughs> Hello, um, just pick a movie. But this is your thing. You like movies? Pick one, please. And also, <laughs> I'm jealous because you picked this, and I did not even it did not even register to me as you know as a movie under that theme. But it's perfect. It works perfectly uh, under that theme of Thank returns. You. So. Congratulations. Um, Thank you so very much. So another thing you mentioned is just... Uh, okay, I'll just say this up front. When this came out, I was... I, I can't remember if I was already convinced Fincher was my favorite director or I, I just needed more convincing. I don't know where I was. But as soon as, as, soon as this came out, 
first time I saw it, I still distinctly remember seeing it for the first time at a press screening. Somebody invited me, and I go, of course, you know, it's Fincher. I, I love the guy. I'm not, I'm not going to miss this. And as soon as I walked out, I go, that's my favorite movie of the year. Nothing's going to top that. Mm-hmm. Fincher does it again. And I said, seriously, absolutely my favorite director of all time, Fincher. And then since then, Soderbergh creeped in because... <laughs> Fincher took a six-year break. <laughs> I was like, just in terms of, like, amount, Soderbergh's yeah. got a good shot, you know? <laughs> like, exactly. But you did get Mindhunter from Gone Girl, from uh, Fincher in between. Yeah. So there's that. And also... And he's coming out with a new movie soon. Yes. So that's exciting for you. Mank, yeah. And then also, I mean, there was House of Cards, but we don't talk a lot about that. You know, there... The, I don't... I don't understand. What? Uh, let's, let's, nope, let's move, nope, let's move that on. That doesn't exist. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it's a hell of a feeling, and the sentence I'm about to say is is kind of depressing now since we're in 2020. But it's hmm. it's a it's one feeling to watch you know David Fincher TV show. It's another feeling to watch it yes. on the big screen. Um, I mean, I don't know when we'll, we'll ever be able to see Mank, you know, on the big screen if ever. But Ugh, I hope it's so true. I hope that's the case. I hope eventually, months, years from now. You know, we'll see Mank on the big screen, but a Fincher film is just mm-hmm. something special to me, and now it's even more special since he hasn't made a movie in six years. Um, I think also that's something about Fincher that's really impressive. Is he, unlike a lot of uh, filmmakers and people who work in TV, he knows the difference. Like, I mean, ob- the obvious comparison to Mindhunter, of course, is Zodiac, and those two things could not be more different visually. Like, he knows the mediums in which he's working with, and he's kind of an expert at both. And that's that's not something that I would say about most uh, most people who have gone in between film and television. Yeah, exactly. It, he it, he comes in because he only directed, I think, the pilot of House of Cards, which is a show you don't know about, David. Um, and then <laughs> and then he also directed, I think, you know three or four episodes of Mindhunter, but mm-hmm. um, he sets the tone. He sets the visual yep. style for these shows and just lets it run. And that stays with the show for the entire run. And it's just, I mean, nowadays, I think it's it's easy to pick up on that, those visual cues that are distinctly Fincher because he established them so early on in this like visual, like digital medium. Like he, I think it's like between him and, and Soderbergh for me personally, like who they're both able to capture, uh, 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 like digital, like film, like perfectly. Mm -hmm. It looks gorgeous and it looks distinctly like their own style and and it doesn't look false. A lot no. of people working with digital, it ends up you get that distance, and I don't think you get that with Fincher. And if anything, it's more impressive with Fincher because just look at the amount of stuff he's done uh, as far as film. It's actually pretty minimal. He hasn't made that many movies, and to like hone your style that well, I think a lot of it goes back to him being, you know, from all the stories we hear, he's like a kind of a terrible person to work with. Yeah. Like he's such a perfectionist, and he shoots everything nine hundred times. We can get it just right but the reaction from that is like yeah but now we know exactly what a fincher film looks like yeah and let's go to something you touched on about gone girl being sort of a trashy story and this goes into another thing that i talk about maybe too much on my twitter (laughs) timeline um panic room (laughs) i have to mention it um it's a great movie i love it i'm glad you said that david because otherwise it'd be a different discussion i'm not an idiot people who don't like who don't like that you don't need to talk to them yeah no no push them aside sir i've i've recognized the greatness of uh panic room for for years and i'm obsessed with listening to that commentary 
um, and other Fincher commentaries. But that one in particular, I don't know why I keep going back to his commentary and like the um, I have that three disc like a DVD set with all this behind the scenes stuff. Like, um, but like the main thing I got from it is he just knows exactly the story he's working with, and he doesn't mind, yep. you know, doing these. Like like B plots like not not, not B plots sorry like yeah. like B movies and just mi- yeah and, like genre work yeah. but with this perfectionistic style it's a very interesting mix exactly so I mean he he has movies like the girls are drinking tattoo seven uh, panic room even like Zodiac which he he elevates it to another level you know on the face of it right. they seem you know kind of like pulpy trashy stories but. Yeah. There, there. It's yeah, and his meticulousness. And Fight Club too. Uh, Fight I mean, Club. it's like, yeah, absolutely. So that's why I think he's a favorite of mine, just because he has that amazing eye for visuals, and he's not afraid to work with these stories that some people might might just be too uh, scared to touch. Especially this movie. Yeah, agreed. Gone Girl. Um, oh yeah, especially this movie. Um, Goodness. B- b- before we toss it to the movie. Um, do you want to give like a like spoiler free setup to this, uh, David? Just just tell people who maybe are kind of they, they don't know too much about Gongo just to set it up for them. Sure. So essentially, the setup of this movie is we have you know our lead character, not our titular character, but our lead character played by Ben Affleck. He you know is having a troubled marriage, but he comes home on his anniversary to go check some stuff out, and his wife is gone. Um, and it's kind of a, in a lot of ways, especially for the first half without giving anything away, it's kind of like a really excellent procedural um, from the kind of his perspective and the police perspective. And then things kind of unravel and unfold from there. And I don't want to tell anything about the second half because there are a lot of surprises. But really, the reason I brought up this in terms of returns is because one of the big plot lines of this movie is him and his wife returning to his hometown. They're both pretty like he's from Missouri and she's born and raised in New York. And because his mom gets sick, they have to come back home. And I'm sure any of you who have had to do that uh, could understand maybe why that would cause some problems in a relationship. Um, So that's the kind of setup of the movie. And there's kind of throughout the movie, there's two very distinct perspectives and they're both handled just expertly by Fincher. Uh, It's amazing because a lot of times when you have a movie like this, where you have two different perspectives, you can tell which one the director is leaning towards or which one they're more comfortable with. And I don't think you get that here. I think you have two excellent halves that combine to make honestly an almost flawless film. I completely agree with you. Um, it has been a while since I've seen this. Um, we, were, we were talking before we started about um, how much I love this movie. I did say it's my favorite movie of 2014, but it's been four years since I've seen this, which is insane. And I think, and I'll probably touch on some of this more in the second half, but <laughs> this might have hit too close to home for me because this, this was around the time that I was in a long-term relationship and things sort of collapsed months after I watched this. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. um, and then maybe that's a reason why I was hesitant about rewatching it in full after so many years. But now rewatching it, I go, oh, mm. you know what? This hits differently now. I think, 
I think we'll get into this in the second half, but it was uh, interesting that you bring that up because this is the first time I've watched it since I got divorced, and it is a very interesting rewatch with that perspective. Like, I I think the first time I watched it, I was in that relationship, and now I'm out of it, which is a good thing for everyone involved. Uh, So it definitely kind of changes your perspective, and I think that's true of any movie about a troubled relationship, but especially this one. Yeah, and I guess it might say something about me if I consider this like a movie that touches close to home um, in terms of relationships. It's a great romance. What are you talking about? It's great. I, I, I say that jokingly, but like we'll talk about it. I'm not actually joking. <laughs> this is actually a great romance in some way. Actually, so yeah. We'll, um, we'll get to that. Yeah, I, I, I may have written down something to that effect too, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, I, I think that's enough intro because we want okay. we, we want to get into... Watch Gone Girl. If you haven't seen Gone Girl, watch it. It's incredible. Uh, and then you can thank both of us on Twitter, yes, uh, because we brought this to your ears, and and Fincher will bring it to your eyes. Definitely watch this. Exactly. So, folks, if you're watching this for the first time, uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, and for watching this again, please re-enjoy it. Uh, but yes, uh, let's turn it over to Gone Girl. And we're back. Whoa, what a movie. Who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> the twist, the turns. The twist, the turns. Now, David, so uh, I, uh, in the intro, <laughs> I think this might might have either been very clever of you um, on the spot or... <laughs> I doubt or, it. <laughs> or, or, you, you, or, or you maybe had this, had this thought out, but I just realized the theme of returns in the first segment I said may give it away of what exactly returns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so talk about the actual returns in Gone Girl. So um, as, as I kind of mentioned in our intro, there's kind of two different things of returns here. The the less obvious after you've seen the movie is them returning to Missouri and everyone becoming a Missourian, uh, which is uh, <laughs> which is our cool girl's nightmare, apparently. Um, but also the fact that, you know, you're led to believe through, I would say, like, the first hour of this movie, like, oh, she is dead, dead. The movie is called Gone Girl, so you're like, oh, okay, it, it puts forward a particular idea. Uh, and given what you've seen of her, maybe you feel like, okay, she could be uh, seen as kind of unlikable. She's burned some bridges, so it could be any number of people. Maybe it is. Maybe it is our lead character. Maybe it is Ben Affleck. And then, of course, the movie switches, uh, and we get everything from her perspective, and then near the very end of the movie, she returns home. She, That's right. <laughs> which is which is quite a cinematic, dramatic moment of her falling into her "quote unquote" worried husband's arms, with bl- covered in blood. Like, just it is such a dramatic moment. And can we talk about like how great Rosamund Pike is in this movie? Like, oh my god! Like, for, like. I will say this whole movie, I think, is perfectly cast. Like, I don't yeah. think that there is a weak link. I was watching it again for, like, you know, the 10th time or whatever it is at this point. And I just kept I, every character. What you're talking about, you know, uh, Kim Dickens as the lead detective or Carrie Coon as Ben Affleck's twin sister or Neil Patrick Harris or Ben Affleck or Tyler Perry, who I think, <laughs> honestly, like, I remember when this came out, I was like, I really wish he would have gotten nominated for Best Supporting because I think he is tremendous in this movie. It totally took me by surprise. And just throughout, 
just tremendously cast. But Rosamund Pike, of course, she is Gone Girl, so she better be great. And she's beyond that. Like, she was an actress that not maybe not a lot of people knew about before this movie. Like, she was a working actress, and she kind of still is now. But this was, like, her first huge lead. And, oh, my goodness, did she take advantage. Like, she is you know amazing and terrifying and sexy and all everything in between like she is exactly what that character needs to be yeah um and just scrolling through wikipedia as i like to do uh that's that's a peek behind the curtains folks i have the wikipedia page of each movie i talk about always always (laughs) but i was reminded that reese witherspoon was originally set to play amy Mm -hmm. and i love reese witherspoon don't get me wrong i mean that's another thing you find on my twitter feed just reese witherspoon love but it's just so hard for me to think of anybody yeah. except Rosamund Pike because, I mean, like you're saying, David, like she owns this role yeah. and she just becomes this character and there's just so much to it that I can't right. I can't see somebody like Reese Witherspoon, again, who I love, like, it's just, do, it's do just, everything. It's just such a demanding part. Um, it's one thing to play an extreme, which you certainly get here. I mean... <laughs> Given what happens uh, between her and Neil Patrick Harris's character, there's some extremity here. But there's also, like, a shocking amount of subtlety to this performance, especially once she comes home and their interactions and you're trying to figure out exactly who she is and how much is truth and, like, how does this work moving forward? Like, I just think she's so tremendous. And actually, I think Ben Affleck is really good, too. There's There's been a lot of people talking about, like, oh, typecasting is just a piece of shit, blah, 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 <laughs> but whatever. Like, he's really, really good here. And you could just see in his eyes when she returns, like, just like that, oh, I am so fucked. <laughs> like, I cannot believe that she did this. Like, it is just a phenomenal acting performance kind of on on everyone's part and i think the only thing that gets talked about with affleck is his supposed fight between him and fincher because he refused to wear a yankees hat that was Uh, like on the uh, the commentary which is great it's a great story but like affleck is genuinely this this is one of the best performances of his career if not the best i think he's absolutely tremendous here absolutely i uh, uh, because at this point i think he had already been cast as batman and mm-hmm. did did yep. he just win for the town best picture? I think that had just happened, yep. maybe. Yep. Um, yep. And I think I was I was definitely rooting for Ben Affleck. Um, and then uh, you know Justice League, all this happens, and his, <laughs> it, it, you know, and then yeah, he had troubles in his personal life. But sure. it seemed like I wish his career had gone another way. Like he yeah. kept getting roles like this and you know kept Agreed. giving these amazing performances because this was to me a, a signal I, again saying don't underestimate me as an actor i'm ben affleck i may be a joke to right. some people but i got i got what it takes and i love his you know, performance and, in this and this is also a movie that like i kind of notice something new every time i watch it and this is really true of a lot of fincher's movie because there's so much detail kind of hammered into these movies that you could watch it 10 times and be like oh my god like you know there's little things like when the in the very first scene when he first shows up to uh meet with his sister at the bar you know he's carrying a board game with him uh and the 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 game is mastermind which is setting you up for what is going to happen there is a mastermind at work here and no offense to mr affleck but you are not the mastermind uh, (laughs) behind anything in this movie and then there's a scene where you know there's he's getting all this bad press and i found it so interesting because there's like this 
weird streak of misogyny in our in our lead character. He doesn't say like, God, I just can't get away from the press or people are always hounding me. The line that he speaks is, I'm so tired of being picked apart by women. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I know you're mad at your wife, but holy shit, dude. Especially yeah. given the fact that you came home for your mom and she died. Like, you seem to have a good relationship there. So the fact that he turns it on on there, and that's supposed to be the character at this point that we're connecting with. And, and I think Fincher does such a great job of making this a character that in one scene you're like, oh, God, this poor guy. Another scene, like, oh, well, he is fucking his student. Like, he's <laughs> not a great guy, which is why that scene with Affleck works uh, later in the movie so well, where he says, like, just because I didn't kill my wife doesn't mean I'm a good guy. I'm not a good guy. And that's, like, maybe the first time he's told the truth in the entire movie. He's playing a part, but he is absolutely telling the truth in that moment. Yeah, going back to um, the twist, and uh, I forget if you mentioned this already, David, but had you read the book before watching this movie? No, I read the book, uh, like, I, I saw the movie and then immediately went and bought the book and okay, read it. Okay. And, like, the next three days, I was like, I gotta read this. Like, And I do think the book is good, but I do think the movie, uh, like, kind of outpaces it by far. Yeah, um, I haven't read it, and I hadn't read it, well, period, I haven't read it at all. But I didn't know the twist of her oh, no. faking her death. I was um, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it is shocking. It's it's still to me, and I've talked about this over the years. I mean, I think I think even I did a uh, Gone Girl podcast, which I just realized I never may have released, which is totally me. It's just something <laughs> I would do. Um, Marcelo to a T right there. <laughs> I've talked about something this before, but... But it's to me... David Fincher and his editors just, they're so, again, it's its a word I think yes. uh, I, I'll use over and over uh, with him is meticulous. And yes. he constructs, I think, the first hour and two minutes of the movie as a murder mystery. You don't know whether, yep. uh, well, the mystery is you don't know who killed her because you're under the assumption that, yo, she's dead. But yeah. then. It's totally <sighs> a cinematic Law & Order episode. It is incredible. Exactly. Like, yeah. just perfect which which i was totally on board for because i mean yeah, same. At, at that point zodiac you know girl that drank tattoo it's like mm-hmm. seven that's that's his thing and but then when it I, I still remember it vividly it's as clear as day watching for the first time and just the scene where he opens up uh that's that that woodshed and revealing Oof. his presence and that quick <laughs> and that quick fade to black and then and then revealing her in her car saying you know, I, I, uh, I forget the line. It's like she says, uh, I, I'm glad I'm dead or something. And you just, yeah, you're just it's like, like the first time she's been really free. And I think you get that that picture of her, especially when she goes into the cool girl monologue, which is one of the greatest monologues of, of the last uh, decade or so. I just think it's absolutely incredible and intensely quotable, of course. But I think it there's an underlying truth in there for the experience of a lot of women that you have to like bend to the man that you're with especially straight women and like you know as she's driving by and sees the girl with the different haircut or you know this particular clothing style she's like oh i can basically i can pick out the person that you're dating by what you look like and it's such an interesting look at the intricacies of relationships and that reminds me in the intro i brought up the fact that this is a great romance and honestly if you look at those flashbacks of her talking about when they first met and their courtship and she mentions later as she's lying about putting together this this diary that all that stuff is true yeah. and like 
that 30 minutes is a great little short film, a great little short romance. Like, I think it's absolutely stunning. Like, I, I watch it and I'm like, you get why both of them like one another. You get that they are actually falling in love and why they make concessions for one another and why she agrees to move back to Missouri. And, there, and there's another really impactful line where, where she says, like, I don't mind. I really don't. I just wish she would have asked. And if that's not indicative of bad relationships that we've all been in, I'm like, oh, yeah, it makes such a big, big difference. You know, it's not the it's not the fact that I have to do it. It's not the fact that, you know, I don't get to live in New York. It's just that you assume that I would and that you never asked. And that is like and it's interesting to have a character who's clearly a sociopath. (laughs) Like, absolutely. (laughs) Um, But yet you do feel for her. Like, as you look at their relationship, you're like, I get it. And, like, in a weird way, these two are so fucked up and so broken that, like, I don't find the end of the movie disturbing. I'm kind of like, it actually kind of reminds me of another movie I love, Phantom Thread, where you're like, oh, y'all, y'all kind of deserve each other. Like, (laughs) you can't be with anyone else. Like, this is actually the way that this should end. Like, I have no problem with it. And I think the mastery of Fincher really comes through in this movie with the one repeated scene with the, I just wish I could crack her head open and see what she's thinking. And those two scenes where you hear that one without context and one with complete reads completely different. And it's not a different uh, voiceover. It's not a different performance by either one of them, but when you have all the information, man, does that work in a different way? Um, that is one thing that really came to mind watching this again um, so many years later. Uh, it's just, oh, it's, <laughs> there are certain lines. So yeah, like in the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie, like you're referencing uh, Ben Affleck's narration. It's like, what have we done uh, to each other? And I think at the end he, uh, he mm-hmm. goes, what, what will we do? And yeah. that, that just rings it's so It's not true. over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... The fact, and this is why it kind of hits close to home to me, not to the full extent of what happens to these characters, but to, to the extent of how a relationship does change each person in that relationship, whether mm-hmm. for the good or bad, and yeah. just how each person deals with that. And it, yes. it, it, and then seeing this again, something that I picked up on a lot more was how there are essentially like two narrators who are totally unreliable. Yes. And... <laughs> And absolutely, and I'm like, oh my god, this is like, this is brilliant because it's like I don't know who I'm rooting for, and also I kind of want either one to win, but in the end, they're just <laughs> that pained face that Ben Affleck has, that his character has uh, <laughs> when it fades to black, and he's like, yes, like we're gonna have the baby, and yeah, like you're saying, it's like they're just made for each other. They're yeah. they set out to destroy each other, but. They're like in in a chaotic harmony now. It there's no right. going and, back. And I think you bring up a great point that like nobody wins. Like you can, it's easy to look at this like okay, amazing Amy, she she got it done. But her goal in the beginning of this was to have him go to jail either for the rest of his life or get the death penalty. She certainly didn't get that. And his goal was to leave her. Neither of them get what they want. But they and and it's interesting because if you look back at their past, he gets a little bit of what he wanted. Right? He wanted kids. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> monkey's paw curls. Like, you, okay, you want kids with Amy? Okay, this is this is what you get, sir. You know, and she wanted, you know, this romantic ideal of Ben Affleck's character of Nick Dunn, and she gets that, but only in front of the cameras. 
Like she yeah. doesn't get that in in her real life. And and you brought up that line that I think is so important. This whole idea of like, what have we done to each other? You know, what will we do to each other? Is like coming from someone who's now out of a pretty unhealthy marriage and relationship. I was like, oh man, that hits home in a really different way. Because I think when you're in a relationship, it's so hard to see what you're doing to one another it could be overall positive it could be overall negative but then like when you look back like i look back at you know the six or seven years i was in that relationship and like oh man we really fucked each other up like we are not the same people now that we were then uh and that and that you know can be kind of disheartening and it's like yeah but that is what relationships are you mold each other you change each other you know like she became the cool girl and he became this you know the the guy with the sugar storm that's what she wanted and she kept trying to get back to that and she gets that a little bit and he gets that a little bit but nobody's i don't think either of these people are happy by the end of the movie like and and it's just phenomenally put together like honestly this i I never thought I would say this before I saw the movie, but, like, this should have won and been nominated for so many Oscars. Like, this is... I mean, in terms of the way the script is put together, the way the movie shot, you brought up the editing. Oh, my God. And this is a movie that demands great editing because you have this strange, truncated story structure with both of them kind of telling the same story, but in very different ways, neither of them being particularly honest. And if you do that poorly... Uh, this movie completely falls apart. So I think you need a director like Fincher, who is that perfectionist, who will spend, you know, 10 extra hours a day to reshoot and reshoot and re-edit and do all this work. Because otherwise, I don't think, I mean, this becomes like a silly uh, kind of lifetime movie um, if you don't have someone like Fincher at the helm. Exactly. I, I just had to make sure because I wasn't totally for sure of the Oscars. It got nominated for, just got nominated for one. Rosamund Pike. And um, she was great. She I was mean, great. Yeah. But, like, there's so much to... I mean, even, like, in these smaller parts, like, I think Carrie Coon is just phenomenal in this movie. I think she's great. Like, she is probably the only sane person in yeah. in this film. Where you're... You, she's the one where I look at her and be like, yeah, you should be listening to your sister. Like, she actually knows what's up. She sees Amy for who she is. You know, she understands what you're doing with this this, you know, college student is not only fucked up and wrong, but, like, it's gonna bite you in the ass, you know? And, you know, of course, Tyler Perry's character is great, but he's, you know, he's a blood-sucking lawyer. Like, that's <laughs> that's who he is, but he's... Oh, God, he's so good at it, though. Just a phenomenal performance. I remember when I saw that he was gonna be in it, I had no no experience with Tyler Perry other than, like, oh, he's the one who makes those movies that somehow make money that I've never seen, right? The Medea movies. That's <laughs> yeah. my only connection. And then I saw him in this, and I was like, oh, my God. He's really good. <laughs> like yeah. his interactions with Affleck, I think, because they're such different styles of actors, ends up working really well. And again, I think a lot of that is owed to Fincher because he's the one who puts all these people together, gets these performances. There's a lot of directors who kind of sit back and let things happen, and that is definitely not Fincher's style. So I think you can give him a lot of responsibility whether a movie works or doesn't. Um, just going through that through this cast, like Missy Pyle. As as like a, yes. a cable TV host, even Great. like the smaller parts. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite comedians, Casey Wilson, is in this as a, you know mm-hmm. playing a, like a, that that housewife best friend, quote unquote, of Amy's. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Scoot, Scoot, Scoot McNary. McNary. I was gonna bring him up. Always good. <laughs> Which uh, this this goes into again like this um, unreliable narrator because even what he's saying with to, to Ben Affleck's character in, in their one scene conversation. 
I, 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 seeing it now, after not having seen it for a few years, I go, wait a second, this, this, this thing, we don't know exactly what happened. And that sort of like grasp of reality and like he should, he said, she said, it's perfectly played out. And yep. I know when this came out, there were some problematic elements that people pointed out, which, you know, everybody has a right to point out. Um, but I don't know, like it's because it's Fincher and because he knows these particular characters um, and he's played with these characters in other movies, <laughs> like this amazing Amy to me is sort of in line with like a Tyler Durden and sort of in line mm-hmm. with, um, sure. oh God, who else was I thinking of? Like, I don't know, like the, his various villains throughout, throughout the years, John Doe mm-hmm. even. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's, I don't know, it puts a different perspective on, 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 on this. And again, yeah. I, I may be, I may be talking out of school, but just for my, you know, straight dude perspective, you know, I'm. Uh, this is going back to like whose side are we on? Like I sometimes are rooting for Amy. <laughs> sometimes I I'm yeah. happy that she kind of made it through in the end. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my visual gut reaction to Neil Patrick Harris getting sliced was cathartic. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, this movie definitely plays with those strings, and because yeah. it's, it's somebody like Fincher who knows exactly what strings to pull and not to make it like mm-hmm. super exploitive. I'm like yes. It completely works. You know, I think um, I think one of the things that I keep noticing about this movie, kind of a little bit the first time I watched it, but on every rewatch, about how often the movie portrays her as the one in control, the one in power. Even in the kind of like lead up when they're falling in love, like how often do you see a sex scene in a major Hollywood picture where a male film star is going down <laughs> on a woman? Yeah, <laughs> you just you, you never see that, and that's like one of the big sexual moments between them. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like you never ever see this. So just to like have that on screen, and you know that scene with Neil Patrick Harris, she's clearly the one in control through that entire interaction. It, not just talking about her slicing his throat, but like he wants to go slow. He wants to take his time. And she is like, no, I got places to go. I got to escape this horrible situation and, uh, and leave. And speaking of that, I think, you know, we talked a lot about her performance, which is phenomenal, but the thing we haven't brought up is the kind of nonverbal performance that she gives when she's setting all that up. Like the day before, like showing herself on video and like essentially sexually assaulting herself. And it is, it's hard to watch. Like it is, it is rough. Like even though I've watched it a bunch of times, every time I get to that sequence, I'm like, oh, "Man, I am uncomfortable with this. <laughs> this is I don't like where this is going." And it's there's no word spoken during that. And it's got to be like a two minute scene where she's kind of going through all this and and showing how and it's like almost animalistic, like the way she crawls under the view of the camera. Like it's very yeah. lizard like. I mean, it is just. What a performance. Like, this is honestly, like, every time I watch it, I try to think of, like, a better lead female performance that I've seen in the last 10 years, and there's not many. Like, this is just, it's a perfect, perfect performance. And I would, I haven't done any research on this, but I would, like, love to hear from her, like, what making this movie was like, because it could not have been easy. (laughs) Like, no matter who directed it, it would have been easy. But with Fincher, I imagine it would be even more difficult, but just just a pitch perfect performance from her and it's kind of sad that like she hasn't been given a lot of like 
she's been given lead roles, but not these roles where you're like, oh, she's going to be, you know, put into the next stratosphere. It's kind of been like a kind of sideways movement for her. And I just think like she has so much to give as an actress that I would just love to see her. I mean, granted, like, you know, oh, it's so hard for a, you know, lead female actress who's blonde and beautiful, but like she still hasn't been given those opportunities that a lot of actors have. And I question why that is exactly. I, I don't understand it, David. I mean, uh, like like uh, how I mentioned Ben Affleck, I think should have, you know, taken a turn, you know, to to keep getting mm-hmm. great, you know, uh, films, performances like this. I, I feel the same way about Rosamund Pike. I, I want her to live in that parallel universe where she keeps getting roles like this. Right. Uh, gets, and some of it, uh, yeah, sadly, Oscar. is is, is an age thing. You yeah. know, she's she's my age, so she's in her she's in her early forties, and Hollywood's not real great once you get past twenty five uh, for women in Hollywood. So that probably, unfortunately, yeah. has a lot to do with it. It's uh, it's a reason why I hate uh, that system. It's yep. it's not it's not good. So let's keep going down this list of why this movie's so amazing. Um, oh, here's one aspect that they're really calling to me watching it this time. Now, I don't remember, but uh, maybe you do, David. But in 2014, how how prevalent was like true crime like in society in like American culture? Because nowadays, it's like everybody is into true crime, you know, podcasts, right. TV shows. Um, in 2014, the fact that our lead actress our lead character she is like reading these uh helter skelter books and like uh-huh. uh, just just she gets all her knowledge about research yeah research <laughs> she gets all this by just watching true crime documentaries reading these true crime books mm-hmm. and like oh god this is this is perfect <laughs> and this and this is also fincher to a t because i think fincher is also just he is obviously totally obsessed with true crime stuff clearly and, yes and, and throughout an entire filmography it's it's just it's just like here he, he this may sound crazy but like i think he likes putting himself in that mindset of what mm-hmm. would yeah. a psychologically damaged person do and how can they get away with it and it comes through i think like, i think it's interesting that you bring like, that up about true, yeah. true crime uh because um i think fincher in some ways is partially responsible for it going into that kind of next level like oh yeah true crime is, has always been a thing it's always been something we are fascinated with because like how can you not be fascinated with like the the examples of the worst behavior in society like there's a certain intrigue to that like we because like wow how could a human being do that how could a human being go through that i want to know more but after this and zodiac and of course the kind of podcast boom especially um in terms of true crime now it's huge and it's interesting because I think I think if Gone Girl comes out in like 2018, I think it's a like a massive massive hit, like one of the biggest movies of the year, probably gets more nominations because we are now in a world where we're like, oh, I'm everyone's really interested in true crime. It's almost like it's it used to be like a subculture and kind of this dark corner of the internet where you like don't admit that you're excited about true crime and now it's become kind of normalized, you know, whether you're talking about things like My Favorite Murder or the book about the Golden State Killer um, that came out and kind of helped solve that crime. So there's like 
a weird like honor to being involved in like kind of true crime stuff now um so it's a lot more acceptable whereas before it was like well i don't really tell anybody but i know everything about ted bundy like <laughs> it's fine don't worry about it i'm not i'm not crazy i don't want to kill anybody i just i just know all this stuff uh sorry um and now it's so prevalent that it's just like oh yeah you're into true crime yeah yeah i could throw a rock and hit 25 people that are into true crime in my neighborhood like which is a little creepy but like that is the world we live in See, right now now that i think about it the image of like rosamund pike like a a blonde white housewife reading these stacks of books about murder watching true crime. totally normal totally <laughs> now normal. in 2020 perfectly normal in 2014 yeah. I, I probably would have said that's kind of odd right well yeah that's she's weird yeah um <laughs> but yeah it's again like um uh just uh looking at this through the the, the scope of like um uh, uh like um the crime uh, the murder genre this uh, murder mystery genre i venture helped kick that off in the 90s with seven mm-hmm. uh then leading through zodiac and the girl dragon tattoo and yep. yeah um i love that he has a pulse on this and mm-hmm. it's too bad that mank won't have any murders or maybe it will. We don't. We don't know. No, we know of. Who knows? <laughs> no, we know of. He might uncover something. Um, oh my god. Okay, so I'm trying to think. There is a lot. So I wrote down here. <laughs> I was. I was. I wrote down a lot of notes, and one note I wrote down is it was the parents' fault. <laughs> I go what? <laughs> because well, her parents are fucking awful. They are. Like, they are they? a nightmare. Oh my goodness. Like, and I like the fact that you know the movie kind of puts it out there. Like kind of on a platter for you. Like when you first meet these people, essentially it's it's Nick saying like, yeah, I think your parents are great, but man, they are really messed up. Like I hate them sometimes because like that whole that whole thing with the amazing Amy books. Like Amy is always a step ahead of me. Like I can never ever ever be good enough. And in a weird way, like uh, she went to a place that Amazing Amy will never go to. Like there will never be a time uh, when Amazing they write a children's book about Amazing Amy. Like faking her own death and her own <laughs> kidnapping and you know trying to get her husband sent to the electric chair like if you can never achieve enough for those parents i mean frankly why not go in the opposite direction and that's exactly what she does yeah and and, and it digs his heels into this reality of um and, and they I, I i something that uh i guess i didn't catch on when i was uh, when i was first watching this a few years ago is they mentioned uh, the recession and how they lost they they, mm-hmm. they they lose their jobs like what like a year or two in their marriage and that sort yeah. of like kink uh, you know uh, their marriage starts going downhill after that it's these expectations that she yeah. sets for herself that she you know she sees her parents they're still together you know they 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 are uh, they've created a career out of her life that her life <laughs> that was like supposed to be like her successes right. her. Right. They 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 created her successes, you know, from her failures, and I'm like, right. wow, like I didn't catch on that at all when I first watched this, but now seeing it again, I go, yeah, it's it's it, it, we can pull back, and it's not just that Amy is just psychologically unwell; that's part of it. But sure. I don't know, like you can step back generationally and go, if you set if if you set yourself up for you know success and you find yourself mm-hmm. middling in what missouri then yeah (laughs) then not quite the same as new york like it's it's a different world um and i'm so glad you brought up expectations because it reminded me of something that i wanted to bring up is that i think the the thing that 
like really hit me as I was watching this is it's kind of playing with idea the idea of what we ex- how we expect people to act in stressful situations. Like the movie, I think, is kind of setting up like, oh, maybe Nick did do this because like the way he's at, like he's cheating on her, he's got that you know as she mentions his shitting grin yeah. and you know the 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 selfie with the with the neighbor and all this stuff and it's another thing i love that like and it's why i think they're meant to be with each other she knows exactly what he's going to do at every turn she knows him like no one else does she calls it every single step of the way but it's this idea that we expect okay a man lost his wife he should be weeping every day he should be bereft he should never smile and we never know how we're going to and this is true of a situation like that it's true of when you're going through grief like in this last year i just lost my father and and like there were definitely moments where I'm like, God, I shouldn't be acting like this. I should be more sad. I should be more upset. I shouldn't be going into work, blah, blah, blah. All these things that like society like expects you to do in a situation they've never been in. And I think his lawyer, Tyler Perry's character, mentions this even before he meets him when he's on that show with Missy Pyle. It's like you're yeah. putting these expectations of a situation no one should ever have to be in. So like maybe you would smile. Like, there's cameras taking pictures. It's like a natural reaction to smile, even if it's fake, for the camera. But I love you can see not only Amy knows what he's going to do, but his sister is looking at him like, you fucking idiot. (laughs) Stop smiling. Your wife is probably dead. What are you smiling for? And it's also the thought of, like, yeah, you might react a certain way if you're in a good relationship. But just because you're in a bad relationship doesn't mean mean you killed her. Right? Exactly. You know, and... There's a moment from Ben Affleck in this movie that's like, honestly, as someone who's been in difficult relationships and left, like, it's very moving to watch where he just says, like, when I first found out, I was relieved. Yeah, I, I ever. And I was like, I was going to bring that oh, up. Yeah, man, it is. It's kind of heartbreaking in that moment because no one wants to admit it, but we've all had that thought. Not like, oh, I'm going to kill my girlfriend or kill my wife. But like, what if they just disappeared? Yeah. See, you know, and- when you're in a particularly bad situation, you're just like. I wouldn't be that sad if they just disappeared. I'm not going to hurt them, but like if they just went away, my life might actually be a little bit better. And that is such a human thing that no one talks about when they're in bad relationships. Yeah. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I wrote that down in that first half. I wrote down Ben Affleck's character. I wrote down, he almost, he looks almost glad. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's before he says the line, I was relieved. <laughs> And I was like, right. oh, God, that's right. Like, oh, And that's what makes Ben Affleck's performance so layered is that, yeah, one, you don't know exactly what a person will do in that situation. And then, two, there's an undertone of, like, yeah, he wasn't in a good relationship. Um, right. He, he wanted out. He was going to ask for a divorce that same day that she was uh, that, 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 that she'd gone girl herself. So, yep. oh, it's, it's, again, fantastic performance from Ben Affleck. Yeah. Um, should have should have got him an Oscar, but oh yeah. Um, Honestly, the more we talk about this, I want to move it from a, like a four and a half out of five to a five out of five because it's just <laughs> it's one of those movies that just some movies you like watch once and then you either like it's too much and you don't want to watch it again, or you watch it again and you start to kind of pick it apart and see the holes. This is not that movie for me. Like this, honestly, gets better every single time I see it, and I honestly don't understand. People who are like, oh, it's not that good, blah, blah, blah. I was like, really? Like, what movie are you watching? This is phenomenal. Like, even if it just for Pike's performance, this is worth watching. Absolutely. Uh, but I will say, you, you brought up uh, holes in this movie. I have one glaring hole. Like a okay. huge plot hole. Okay. So, uh, after 
Ben Affleck's character finds out that, uh, well, he's told that Amy was pregnant uh, by by the cops. He's uh, uh, drinking uh, a bottle of alcohol uh, in a in, uh-huh. a tum- in a tumbler glass. He's drinking Sangani sixty three. Okay, and for those who don't okay. know, um, that is so- Steven Soderbergh's uh, his friend. Uh, of Steven course, Soderbergh's you would know it. Of alcohol. course. <laughs> <laughs> and so this movie is set in two thousand twelve. Uh, because uh, Amy disappears on July 5th, 2012. Um, Steven Soderbergh did not release Singani 63 until the year 2014. So, glaring hole, <laughs> terrible. I'm bringing this down three stars. It's not a good movie. It, I mean, You are a monster. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually drinking Singani 63 right now because I felt like it was appropriate. So... Uh, there you go, um, David. Any <laughs> I think last I can thoughts? forgive that. But yeah, oh, I can yes, forgive can, okay. that "quote unquote" glaring <laughs> bottle. Like anybody gives a shit, uh, except you and maybe Steven Soderbergh, maybe the only two people would, who would either know or care. Yeah. You know, about you know, that. it it came to mind because first I thought, okay, well, I I knew that was in there because I've known for years that you know they're friends mm-hmm. and and Fincher sure. as a shout out, you know, puts the guy in '63 and Gone Girl. And then I thought about this view, and I go, wait a second. Why would Ben Affleck's character even have that? Because, right. uh, of course, I have a bottle of Sagai 63 because I'm obsessed with Steven Soderbergh. But why would somebody <laughs> in Missouri have a bottle of this very hard-to-find liquor? I mean, he spent um, a lot of time in New York. Maybe it was hers. Okay, maybe he was okay, drinking see? her liquor. See? Okay, see? okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's... The world ends at the Hudson. Is it done? <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, but see, Sangai 63 is so delicious, I can't imagine a bottle just sitting there for years. You, you drink right. it right up. So anyway, <laughs> please, Sangai 63, send me some bottles. Um, yes. <laughs> David, uh, as we wrap up, any last thoughts on Gone Girl? Yeah, I think um, this, more than any other of Fincher's movies, kind of proves just what a master he is at the craft. Like... You know, a lot of his other movies, you're like, okay, I can I can see him doing that. I can see a great, even if it's kind of genre based. I, oh, okay, I could see a great director picking that up and seeing something. But like taking this beach read, it's like probably the biggest risk, quote unquote, that he's taken since something like Alien Three. And Alien Three, which is when he was kind of first starting out, like moving from music videos and and moving into films, which is a movie I actually don't like very much. I'm one of those mm. Alien Three haters. I agree with David Fincher. David Fincher hates it. David Giannini <laughs> hates it too. Uh, so that is that is the way I go with that. But this is like such a stretch for his skill set. Um, that and you know, as I mentioned, I walked into this thinking like, oh, this will be serviceable at best. I'll forget it as soon as as soon as I walk out. But it is an unforgettable film um, for a lot of reasons. And this is one of those that if you're a Fincher fan at all, like if you liked Fight Club, if you liked Seven, if if you're one of the weirdos like me and Marcelo who liked Panic Room, yeah. uh, and you for some reason miss this, like even with all the kind of spoiler discussion, like you don't know what you're in for. Like we, there's no way to perfectly describe not only his direction and the editing and Rosamund Pike's performance. Like this is, there's very few movies I feel like this about. Like this is one of those movies that if if I were to get, and this sounds terrible, but if I were to get in a relationship with someone, I'd be like, you have to watch this. This is one of those (laughs) must sees. Like you must watch this. Like it is kind of one of those movies. And it's, I kind of want to go back now to my list of in 2014, because I think I had it in like my top five, but I'm having a hard time imagining something better than this 
It's phenomenal. Yeah. Watch it. If you've seen it already, watch it again because you're going to get more from it. It's impeccable. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll say is um, I coincidentally had a double feature today of two movies. Um, uh, one of them was Alien Resurrection. Um, the other Oof. was Gone Girl. Uh, both for one of those is very good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know which one you're referring to, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, but the, and, and you may have something to say about this for sure. But seeing the 20th Century Fox logo at the front of both, okay, mm. regardless yeah. of what you, regardless of what you think of Alien Resurrection, the fact that both of these movies are like from from 20th Century Fox pre Disney. Rated R, <laughs> super simpler times. Yeah, like mm. in intensely their own thing, intensely original in their own way. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, wow, take me back to those times when yeah, a, a yeah. studio like Fox can release an R-rated movie like Gone Girl, and it and it makes money. Um, I don't know if that is ever going to happen. Uh, with I really don't think it is, frankly, no. with the with the. I mean, not only 2020 being what it is, and no movies in theaters yeah. and all that stuff, but even you know stuff that was happening in 2019 with Disney buying Fox and kind of locking up everything and not letting theaters show it, and now the fact that those accords are gone and like these companies can buy their own movie theaters, like the days of risky filmmaking in a big budget in a big theater i think are kind of gone and we're sadly going to be dependent on streaming services for movies like this and you're gonna have to search them out like that's just where we're at we're in the days with like netflix and amazon throwing you know so much money at scorsese uh but those movies in general aren't going to see the theater and that is a damn shame and you're and you bring up a great point even though i think alien resurrection is just an awful movie (laughs) it is it's certainly not a movie that is paint by numbers and neither no. is Gone Girl. I mean, both of these movies, as you said, are very original from artists who do their own thing and are willing to take risks. And, like, give me a big swing and a miss over, like, a weak single down the line. Like, give me give me the swing and a miss because there's something interesting there. I'm not interested in the paint-by-numbers movie. I'm interested, whether it's a success or a failure, a movie like Gone Girl, a movie like Alien Resurrection. Like, that's where the interesting stuff really happens. How many movies do you get Sigourney Weaver... Uh, you know, throwing a basketball over her shoulder as she walks away. Not many. So <laughs> see, and and th- this was secretly my mission for this entire uh, segment, David. Is to get you say some, get you to say something nice about Alien Resurrection, and I did. There you go. Mission accomplished. Ooh, mission accomplished. <laughs> David, thank you. This was fun talking about a great movie. Uh, yeah, thank you for picking this. Uh, before we go, plugs. Where can people listening find you online? Oh, yeah, of course, on Twitter, way too often, uh, my biggest regret in life is starting a Twitter account, but uh, I am there all the time, and it's just at Dave A. Giannini, that last name is spelled G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I, and you can find uh, my work, whether it be writing or editing, at Talk Film Society. Yes, seek that out, folks. And again, David, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was great. I had a great time. I'm glad I picked a good movie, unlike your other guests. <laughs> I'm not going to name names. <laughs>